For the scripture reading this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 in these blue Bibles and the chairs. It's on page 1600. And you can keep that open during the message. You refer to that. And please stand for the reading of the word. Luke 6, verses 17 through 19. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. I'm thankful that we're here together again online and in person to continue in this sermon series we began last week called Leaning In. We talked last week about how when you want to hear what somebody has to say, when their message is important to you, you lean in to hear. You kind of get quiet and you try to be attentive. Similarly, when we are sharing with somebody else and we see that they're attentive to us, that they have an open posture and they're leaning forward to hear us, it encourages us to say more. When somebody's listening, they're kind of doing this. That doesn't necessarily encourage us to share more, does it? The more they look at their watch, the more we realize our time is short. They may not be very attentive to what we're saying. Well, Jesus, a little over 2,000 years ago, preached the greatest sermon ever told. And if there's ever a message we want to lean in to hear, it's this one. We talked about how it's recorded twice in Scripture, a similar message, once in the uh, known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, and then other one, and the one we're looking at, the Sermon on the Plain, recorded in Luke's Gospel. We entitled this series Leaning In because we want to express intention in our relationship with Jesus. We want to learn these words and allow them to become part of us so that we're shaped by them, we're matured through them, we're molded by God's word. I often use the phrase leaning in or coming towards to talk about somebody that's just expressing a desire for deeper relationship. And you know... People can't hear us if they're walking away from us. <laughs> My wife often tells me this when she's trying to pass on a message to me and I'm kind of walking away and she's like, you're not listening to me. And I realize it takes stopping, pointing, facing towards her, giving her eye contact, letting her know what she has to share is important. Leaning in is all about relationship. And the essential theme of Scripture from beginning to end is God's desire for relationship with us. He, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth, we are told. He's already in relationship within God's self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he leans in by creating the heavens and the earth and creating people to be in communion and connection with. God's great desire is to have people leaning in to relationship with him, just as he has leaned in in relationship with us. That's what being a disciple is all about. Somebody who has reflected intention to be connected with Christ and to become more and more like him. Francis Chan, in his book, Multiply, says the word disciple refers to a student or apprentice, a learner. And there's somebody who, in Jesus' day, is wanting to learn from a rabbi or a teacher and to become so close with them as to learn from them and to become more and more like in the men's ministry uh, group on Wednesday night, uh, Tim Greeb reminded me of a quote that, that often was shared in Jesus' day, and it was a blessing. And that blessing was, may the dust of your rabbi fall on you. In other words, may you follow your teacher so closely that the dust that they kick up as they're walking along falls on you. Because that becomes a reflection of how close you are with them, how intentional you are connected with them. 
Well, being a disciple or apprentice is about deciding to be with another person so that you can learn from them and become like them. And Jesus' great plan for saving the world and transforming the world was calling disciples to himself who would so get and so embrace him and his message that they could then make other disciples of men and women. All this is essential background to understanding the Sermon on the Plain. The sermon is found in Luke's Gospel towards the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It immediately comes after his baptism and temptation when he then announces the presence of the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus has good news to share. And the good news is the kingdom is present because he, the king, is present. And he tells us there as he's inaugurating his kingdom that people need to repent. The Greek word there is metanoia. It's literally have a transformation, turn around. And as people turn around from walking away from God and now walk towards God, we're able then to hear what he has to say. We're able to become his kingdom people as we learn his message and allow that message to transform us. So as followers of Christ, we want to be different from the world, and we also want to be different from the the nominal church. We don't just want to come and simply hear the message and allow it to go in one ear and out another. We want it to become part of who we are. And the Sermon on the Plain gives us vital words, words of life, words that can give us guidance and direction to live in the way that God intended, abundantly and fully. And as we see the world continuing to change around us and go through various challenges and changes, these words become more and more vital to live out. And they are more and more countercultural. These are not words that allow you or cause you to live in light of the rest of the world. This is not going with the stream. This is actually going against the stream. Next week, uh, I'll be there for part of the weekend at the men's retreat. I'm going to come back uh, Saturday night to be here and, and preach. Greg will be there the whole weekend. But one of the things I've loved most doing when I've been in Tahoe is to go over near Richardson Camp and go in, over to where the salmon run is. And you look at these salmon literally fighting, struggling to go upstream. Well, similarly, as followers of Christ, we, we are going against the tide of culture. We're, we're, we're swimming upstream, so to speak. But we have words here to live by in order to navigate that stream and navigate the challenges of living in our day and age. We saw last week that for Jesus, two things were vital as he's preparing to share these words of life. The one was he got away. And spent time in prayer. We're told that he spent an overnight time of prayer in order to prepare himself and get connected with the Father and prepare for the next stage in his mission, which meant calling people to follow him, calling disciples. He got his marching orders from God, the Father, that way. He knew what he needed to do next. In addition to the time of prayer that set the stage for the carrying out of his mission and the sharing of these vital words, we see, secondly, that Jesus calls a diverse group of men who are brought together for a common purpose, being called into relationship with him and chosen as a band of missionary disciples who are being prepared to be apostles, those sent out by Jesus. So as Robert Coleman said in the master plan of evangelism, it all started by Jesus calling a few men to follow him. This revealed immediately the direction of his strategy would take. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men and women who the multitudes would follow. The initial objective of Jesus' plan was to bear witness to his life and carry on his work after he would return from the Father, or to the Father. And as we said last week, uh, the amazing uh, nature of Jesus and his ability to unify and call together uh, people includes this diverse group. And Jesus' band of 12 included a zealot who was determined to overthrow the Roman rule. 
And another, who had been a tax collector, virtually a traitor to the Jewish nation in collusion with Rome. But somehow, through Jesus, God graciously empowers this diverse group of people to come together, to be called into relationship with him, but then be able to carry out that mission after he was gone. It's amazing that from these few early converts, Jesus would be able to call together a group of people, a church that would go out with the gospel to the whole world. Because when you look at this group, you see people who are impulsive, temperamental, easily offended, and had all the prejudices of their environment. In short, these people are an average cross-section of people in their day and age, and we could say that they're an average cross-section of people in our day and age. And yet through Christ's teaching, through his empowering, they were able to go out and be the transforming agents in the world that God called them to be. And so as we saw last week, Jesus calls disciples. He calls 12 people to be in a concentrated band of groups uh, of people that will spend intentional time with him. And then he names them apostles. He says that they're going to be sent ones. Josh came over to me yesterday and says, Dad, you ought to preach a sermon about how Sunday morning in the one hour that you go to worship isn't all there is that we're actually called to go out and share the good news and come back and connect on Sunday morning and prepare to do it again. And I said, son, you're right. And I think I do that every Sunday. (laughs) But it's still true, isn't it? That's what we're here for, to be enriched and encouraged, gathered together, nurtured, to then go out. But unfortunately, the challenge is in our diversity, we can struggle with difficulties and we can, uh, we can, instead of embracing what unifies us and connects us together, we can get more focused on what divides us. Yesterday we had a, a new members class. Uh, it was a, a small group of folks, but folks that are joining our church family. And we talked about how in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, we want to focus on our essentials of faith, what unites us. And we talked about how in the essentials, we want to have unity. In non-essentials, we want to have liberty. And in all things, we want to reflect charity or love. Instead of being centered on what separates us, we need to focus on what unites us. Because too, unfortunately, too often, we can make it about us and our, our preferences, right? About the way things would work and what we would prefer versus what is best for the common good and what God is calling us to. I was struck by the fact I heard the story that the San Diego Padres last night had a, an argument in their dugout. So, so let's say our time in worship is kind of our dugout time, like a team, baseball. We, we get to rest, we get to connect together in the dugout before we go back out to play, right? Well, instead of the Padres being in their dugout and encouraging one another and resting during those times, they got their two highest played, paid players got in a big argument. And the one, and I, and I can't use all the language that was used in this interaction that was caught on tape, but the gist of the message was Manny Machado telling Fernando Tatis Jr., it is not about you. It's not about you. And if you recall, Rick Warren once said the same thing in The Purpose Driven Life. The first line, it's not about you. It's about God, what God's doing in the world, his mission that is advancing, that we get to be a part of. And that's a a team, a calling, a, a, a grouping that is meant to unify us and connect us. You see, Jesus here, his goal is not to impress the crowds, but to usher in a kingdom. And that meant he needed men and women who could lead the the multitudes. Everything here that he does for the few as he shares the good news is with the strategy of reaching the many. And by responding to this initial call, believers in effect enrolled themselves in the master's school where their understanding could be enlarged and their faith established. In his presence, they could learn all they needed to know. 
You know, sometimes I think we, we feel like we, we just have to learn more and we have to keep learning. And, and that's always a part of the life of faith. But if there is an outflow in terms of what's coming in, going out and being shared, we start to become like a stagnant pond in our relationship with God. And growth will only come as we take the truths of, the, of God's word in, but we also share that and, and, and release that, so to speak. So what I want us to see here is the relational process that Jesus is entering into, that he's inviting disciples in uh, before he began to teach them uh, to and what in terms of uh, and began to disciple them. Jesus simply shows that he wants to be with them and he, he is devoted to them before they've done anything to reflect devotion in return or commitment in return. Jesus reflects his utter full and complete commitment to them. He's going to give them personal time and attention. He's going to reflect care and concern for them. And they then can respond in return. The part of the passage we read then this morning that Jonathan read tells us that Jesus went down with them. So he's spent time in prayer on the mountain. He's called his disciples to them. But now he goes down with them and we are told that he stands at a level place. In other words, Jesus stood on level ground speaking to them and the crowd around them, meeting them where they are at in terms of their common humanity. I think about the importance of getting uh, you know, at the, the eye level of, of, of somebody you're trying to speak to. I noticed this process with my younger son and, and just those times when there's something that I really want him to get across to him. I, I don't just say it from across the room or standing up when he's sitting down. I usually kneel down and sometimes I'll put both my hands on his shoulders and I'll say, Levi, I really want you to understand that this is important. And trying to get eye contact and get at his level, I see him listening better and taking in what I'm sharing. Well, similarly, Jesus comes down in Luke's gospel and gets at the level of his hearers. He descends from the mountain of calling his disciples, much like Moses does, and going up in the mountain to God with God and then coming down and sharing the Ten Commandments with uh, the Israelites. Jesus calls his followers, but then goes down with them and shares these words that we'll hear in the coming weeks along with a great multitude of his disciples and a crowd that was surrounded. We're told in the passage that there were others there. Luke says a great number of of the people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, were there along with religious leaders and authorities. This move accords with the rest of the New Testament as Jesus goes down with his disciples and connects with the people. Because peoples, because Jesus' movement down is about leaning in and connecting with his creation. He does it reflected in John 1.14. It says there that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson's message translation says he pitched his tent or he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus descends onto this earth, gathers disciples, but now comes down this mountain and meets the people where they're at so that he can connect with them on their terms. Paul captured this as well in Philippians 2. There it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He took the very nature of the servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that was above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus doesn't take his power and authority and grasp onto it and cling onto it. Instead, Jesus empties himself and leans down into creation, not only in coming and being incarnate in human flesh, but also in coming down and revealing himself, revealing God in him, in his person, as the second person of the Trinity, but taking on flesh so that people could encounter him, see him, experience him. Jesus humbles himself in order to not only be lifted up himself by the Father, but lift up, all, lift up humanity with him and those who turn to him and receive him. So before the disciples lean in and listen to what Jesus has to say, Jesus comes down to this earth, comes down to this plain, and calls people, chooses them, and designates them apostles, and then comes down and stands on this level place. We're told that when he taught, too, Jesus literally sat down. And this was the posture of a a teacher, a rabbi in Jesus' day, was, was sitting and, and, and kind of commanding people's attention uh, through sitting and, and taking that posture. In fact, I, I love uh, often Jonathan will have a stand when we read scripture. And particularly, you know, if we're reading something in the New Testament. And, and we stand, right, when we're, when we're hearing God's word. Well, it's likely that the crowd there was standing while Jesus was sitting. The reverse of often what we do on Sunday mornings when a preacher's standing and everyone else is sitting. Maybe we should reverse it one day. You get the exercise for the 30 minutes and I get to rest and sit. No. No, Jesus invites them into this relationship by, by teaching them and, and connecting with them. And, and, and he meets them where they're at so that they could hear him. And notice that when Jesus gives his keynote address or his messianic manifesto in, in the, these words, the Beatitudes, uh, that we'll hear in coming weeks, he ends the message but with a parable about building your house on the rock so that you will have a solid foundation. So what we can say through this series is we are leaning into and stepping upon a, a rock-like foundation when we hear these words and take them into our life. Jesus isn't necessarily, I mean, he's doing something new in the way he does it and in the teaching, but in another way, we can say he's just building upon what God is doing all along. Remember in the Shema, in in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. And it goes on to say, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you wake up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and put them on your foreheads so that you can remember them and put them on the door frames of your house so that you remember God's word. What Jesus is saying here is that we have to hear God's word and take it in on a regular basis if we want it to become part of who we are. And notice who's gathered there again. Who's leaning in? Who's coming towards him? We see that a large crowd of his disciples were there. But we also hear that a great number of people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem, that's the surrounding area, and even more, a great number of people from the coast of Tyre and Sidon. So so you had Jews as well as Gentiles, and a great number of people come to, to listen to Jesus. And what we get the sense of is we have people here on all levels of understanding and, and preparation and in their process of discipleship. And I think there's at least five levels of, of people represented here. There's people that I would say are just on the come level. They, they heard that there's this guy who's healing and who's casting out demons and who has good things to say. And so they, they come just to, to show up to kind of see the spectacle, so to speak, to, to kind of witness what's going on. But then there are others that are coming to listen. They're coming to, to see Jesus, but, but also hear his teaching so that, again, it can become part of, of who they are and, and they, they hear his word. But even more, there's others there that are coming to follow him, 
These are people who have, are disciples. They're apprentices. They're learners. They're not just there to hear his teaching. They're there to put it into practice in their lives. And then there's a, a fourth level, a fourth group of people that I, that I think are there. And those that are developing. These are people who are disciples who are being prepared to be apostles. In other words, they're not only hearing what Jesus has to say. They're not only considering how to put it into practice in their lives as disciples, learners, followers. They're wanting to listen and take it in so that they can share it with other people. And they can be developed as disciples who will go on and make disciples. Because those disciples are preparing to become apostles, right? They're not just going to stay in the classroom the whole time. They're people that are going to go out of the classroom. And when the the bell rings at the end of the school day, they're going to go out and share what they learned. Sometimes with my kids, I try, you know, if I say, how was your day? It was like, yeah, great. You know, I get get one word answers. I'm starting to get the shrug from my teenage son. Eh," You know, and something like that. But instead I'll say, tell me one thing you learned today. Just one thing. And almost always, they can come up with one thing they learned that they can then share with me and tell me about. And like that, the disciples, as students or learners, are meant to be prepared to share what they're learning. They are going to be the leaders of God's kingdom enterprise uh, after Jesus is gone and empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're developing into leaders. And Greg and and Beth are offering a a workshop, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. And that's what this is about. This is about us developing, being developed as disciples and being prepared or being strengthened as leaders. And we all need to continue learning and continue growing as, as leaders. Because there's always things to learn and things are always changing around us. So leading in any way in the church, whether it's as a pastor or growth group leader or deacon or elder, it's always changing around us, right? So we always have more and more learning to do to develop as leaders. But notice that having all those levels of people there is part of God's great plan and design for the church. Because in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, in the, what's known as the Great Commission, Jesus said, uh, to, said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. So what Jesus is going to call the disciples to do, he's already doing. The nations are already gathered there. There are already people listening. But there's other people that are hearing and and wanting to put it into practice in their life. And there are disciples who are reflecting intention and growing. And there are leaders present there who will not only be disciples, but go out and make disciples. What is said in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, is already happening here and now. Jesus is preparing them to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And when we gather as disciples around God's word, and as we hear these words in the coming weeks, we're basically being called out of the crowd and being called to not just hear this message, we're being called to apply it to our lives and develop as disciples so that we are prepared to lead and be apostles, sent ones, those sent out to share the good news of Jesus. So I believe like those gathered there today, that day, we're in different places and levels. And, and you might be in the place where you're just coming to hear Jesus, hear about him for the first time. And I just want to say, way to go. Way to lean in and, and come towards Jesus by hearing this message. And if you want that message to become a part of who you are, I encourage you, uh, I've used this analogy before, but try to get a, a five-finger grip on the Bible in God's Word. And, and essentially, that comes through hearing is, is the thumb. You're, you're doing that today. But, but the, the, uh, the pointer finger uh, might be uh, you know, reading it for yourself. So not only hearing it, but reading it. Go back through the message. Read the Word over again. But then there's beyond hearing it is meditating upon it. You know, spending time thinking about what its meaning is for you and how God's calling you to apply it. 
And then there's memorizing it. Memorizing God's word. Making it part of who you are so you can recall it and share it with other people. And finally, there's applying it and living it out in your life. And this analogy I think I got from Billy Graham. I think he was the one who originated it. I'd like to attribute it correctly, but I, I'm not entirely sure. But essentially what Graham did was, you know, he, he, he asked somebody to come and, and get, pick up the Bible. And at the time, he just had his thumb on it. And the person easily took it out of his hand, right? But then he talked about not only hearing, but reading, meditating, memorizing, and applying. And then Graham, who had huge hands, had it like this. And the person could not take it out of his hand. And as learners, hearers of Jesus' message, we want to read it, meditate on it, to, to apply it to our lives so that it cannot be taken away from us. But notice, and I wrap up with this, that those were there, those there that day who not only leaned in or came towards to hear Jesus, there were people who were in need of healing. They were told that Jesus healed their diseases. People were leaning towards Jesus because they had need and they they needed to know that God cared and was present with them in their pain and in in their sorrow. And so people leaned in to Jesus for healing. And what did Jesus do? We're told that he leaned in. He reached out and he touched them and he healed them. And we're also told that not only was Jesus healing people physically and and of their emotional sorrows and hurts and pains and losses, but Jesus was also delivering people from demonic um, possession and oppression. He was releasing them and freeing them from the evil that had overwhelmed them and, and consumed them for so long. Why? Because people can't ultimately lean in and come towards and grow as disciples if we're overwhelmed by evil, if people are, are oppressed by demonic forces, you know, it's, it's difficult to see clearly through that to see Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing is inviting us to hear his words, to be guided by them, to ultimately be, to be healed physically, freed from what would uh, impede us from physically following him with our, with our bodies, but also freeing our souls from those things that oppress us and consume us so that freed up from that demonic from demonic spirits that people were troubled by and that we might be troubled by we're able to experience his peace and absence of anxiety and a fullness of his presence I don't know how Jesus is inviting you to come towards him today, but I encourage you, make a commitment in one of these three ways. Make a commitment to hear his word on a regular basis through messages like this and through uh, reading God's word yourself by discussing it in growth groups and classes like Greg talked about earlier or by asking Jesus to heal you. Jesus once asked man, do you want to be healed? The man said, yes. If you're physically bound by something, uh, you know, sickness, hurt, the question is, do you want to be healed? And if the answer is yes, then, then pray to him and ask people in our church to pray for you that you might be healed. And if you feel oppressed, like, like evil and the, the darkness around you is just so thick, you can come towards Jesus by praying for healing and deliverance or asking Greg or I or, or another person in the church that has experience in prayer like this to pray that you would be delivered from that evil. Don't we pray that every Sunday? Deliver me from evil in the Lord's Prayer. And we want people to be delivered from evil, be delivered from the torment of demonic oppression so that you're freed to live fully and lightly in Jesus. In Matthew 28, 19, uh, or sorry, Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, my teaching upon you, and, and, and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I know we all want soul rest, and that's my hope and prayer for each of you. Uh, this morning, we get to hear a testimony from one of our dear friends. I'm going to invite Carolyn Wirtz to come up. And uh, Carolyn recently had an experience of uh, healing 
that uh, she wants to share with us that we might be encouraged by the fact that Jesus is still at work today in the ways he was then, and we can be encouraged and strengthened by it. So let's welcome Carolyn. Last time I touched the mic and I got in trouble, everybody gasped in the room. Can I put it down just a little bit? You can. Okay, good. Um, I'm just one of those people that never gets sick. I go for a physical, and they just say, oh, great, give me a gold star, and I'm done. And um, this time I went, and the doctor said, well, you have a little anemia, and it doesn't look good. So it kept at it, and she sent me to an oncologist, and they didn't really find too much. So I thought, okay. And then she called in a little more blood tests. And she said, you know, I think I need to send you to a kidney doctor. And I thought, okay, he's going to tell me to drink water and quit eating fast food and all that. So I'll go. And she said, but it's going to take a while to get the appointment. And I thought, okay. And they called when I got home and I guess she'd faxed everything over. And he said, they said, we want to see you Friday and you need more blood work. And I thought, oh, so, um, I did that. And um, I, when I went to confirm it, it said it was a triage appointment. And I thought, oh, this is, this is different. But I didn't think anything of it. Well, when I went in, um, he sat me down and he said, you have a very rare disease. And um, it's incurable, but we can treat it. And up until the last few years, there was no treatment. People just died. There, the mortality rate was high. I thought he was kidding because I thought, I'm walking around. I'm not that bad. And um, he said, but we will treat it, and, uh, but I'd like to do a biopsy as fast as we can, which they did. And when I saw that 10-inch needle, I thought, Jesus, just please hold me. And he did, and I didn't feel a thing. I, they always they said, you know, when you're old, older, you may end up in the hospital. I, walked, I was up walking around eating all the snack foods they offered within about, you know, half an hour of it. So, you know, he, he we had a hold of me. And, um, and I went to my growth group, and they, they, um, they really leaned, we leaned in. And um, because they put me on this high-dose prednisone, they said, you know, and I, and I was immunocompromised. They said... Um, we're, I, we got there and they had a special table where we could sit and we didn't have to breathe each other's germs and they had food that we could share that wouldn't um, hurt and it wouldn't uh, be a problem. So, um, so then I went back to the doctor. I was kind of getting excited because he said there was this treatment that was new that they could do and it would be fast. And I, I took Celia with me so she could hear what he said and he said, you can't have the treatment. He said, uh, the team, the medical team at UC Davis said, you're not, you don't have the strength to have it. So um, we'll keep you on prednisone. When I think you're strong enough, we'll start you on another treatment. It's a kind of a chemo thing. And um, so in the meantime, I had joined this Facebook group about this disease. And people, it, it attacks major organs in your body. And it really just turns them into stone. That's what my kidney was down to 20%, both kidneys. And it had been 100% a few months before. So I was in a down, downhill thing. And so I just spent a lot of time after he told me this um, with God that weekend. And I thought, you know, I began to tell Celia, now if anything happens, this is what you need to do. And this is where, you know, I've got some money and <laughs> little things. And, um, and I said, you know, and, but I'm fine because no matter what happens, I get to see my Lord and Savior and my family. So, you know, I thought that that's okay. You know, whatever you want, God, whatever you need to do. And for me, it's hard to ask people for help. But I did send something to our prayer team and to my little prayer team in Yellowstone at our cabin and to my cousin in Switzerland. And Celia sent out prayer requests. Um, and, you know, I kind of felt like um, I was being selfish because I wasn't as sick as other people and children that maybe have something like this. But um, I finally did ask for prayer. And then on, uh, I had more blood work. And on July 9th, uh, we went into the doctor. And I thought, okay, whatever he says, I'm just going to... You're just going to accept it, and I'm, I have a peace about me. I'm spending a lot more time with God, and um, and it's, everything's going to be, you know, it'll be all right no matter what he says. So, of course, I didn't have my glasses on, and 
he, we had this pleasant conversation and talked about things and how I was feeling better and the prednisone. I didn't get the moon face because I already have one, you know, kind of a round face. And, um, and they said you'd gained a lot of weight. I lost 20 pounds. They said I would um, not be able to sleep. I slept like a baby. So I thought, well, you know, whatever. I'll just go along with it. He scooted his chair over. He's Chinese, and he's very sober kind of a guy. He scooted his chair over, and he said, look at this chart. And he said, I thought, oh, no. And I couldn't see which test it was, but it doesn't matter. What, what, it didn't matter to me. And he said, you were in a nosedive. You were, you were about done. And, you know, the littlest thing could have put me in the hospital, and I'd be gone. I mean, that's how serious it was, which I still couldn't believe, but that was true. And he said, but then look, and it kind of wavered, and then it shot up right higher than ever. And he said, look at this. This is a medical miracle. He said, we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. And Celia and I looked at each other, and we said, what do you think we said? We know what happened. (laughs) And the power of that prayer, the power of that prayer, and what God can do in his faithfulness, it just blew me away. And when I walked in today, I'm watching now for things and listening better. When I walked in, the organ was playing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And when I walked out of that doctor's office, I'd been whining about the heat. Oh, we have to park in the sun and everything. I did not feel any heat. I just could feel the presence of the Lord carrying me along. It was absolutely amazing. It was amazing. I, I was like, had wings on my heels. And of course, the first thing we asked him, can we go to the cabin just for a little bit? Because that's where I renew. And he said, yes, go, go. You're fine. He was so happy. He was eating his lunch when we left and he's waving at me and smiling. And, you know, he was so animated and so excited. So we did go to the cabin. And then um, it was interesting when I, our little church up there, you share blessings. And when I got up to share, everybody started crying and passing Kleenex around because uh, I had thanked them for, for praying for me. Then something else happened. The, they asked me to start the, the heavy drug, and I did start it. And I thought, okay, Lord, here goes. And if something happens, she was ready to take me down to the 100 miles to the hospital. But nothing happened. It just felt fine. It was like eating a candy or something. So... Uh, we were doing real well, and everything just looked crisp and beautiful. Well, we went to this dinner theater, and there was probably oh, 400 people there, and they sit in these benches, and you get up and you get your food, and you're kind of crammed in, and I thought, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. And um, they took us to our table. They assigned them, and it was in the very back, good view, but very back, and it was the only bistro table in the whole building the only individual table. And I said, did you tell them? No. So we sat down and and got our dinner. And this couple tried to sit down, and she couldn't manage the chair. And another couple came, and we we sat down together. And we got to talking. And after dinner, I said, I'm going to put my mask on. I don't mean to be rude, but I have this disease. And I started a new medication where I have no, you know, I don't have anything to protect me. And she said, well, so do I. She said, what, what, what are you taking? And I told her. And she said, oh, I've been on it two years. And, I said, and she said, I have the same thing you have, only it's my liver. And she said, but I'm a poster child. I'm doing great. And we're going, they were Mormon. She said, we're going on a mission to Romania. And I thought, okay. So when we got in the car, Celia said, Carolyn, that was, that was God. He put that lady there to give you that encouragement. I, I was, I couldn't, I was blown away. I, I thought, this is it, God. I, my faith has increased a thousand times. You just keep doing these things. So she teases me. I, we went to a quilt show, and I, they said, oh, it's a beautiful day, and we're glad you're here. And I said, I am so glad to be here. And I told them this story in a short, shorter version. And I said, I don't know if you guys are believers, but... And Celia said later, she, she's kind of died of embarrassment. She said they have no choice but to believe. The way they were leaning in, and I'm leaning in, and I'm telling them this, and, and they were, you know, they were excited. So I, I just um, have been since then, you know, I, I'm not over this, but I've been watching and listening, 
for blessings and for signposts. And I've seen so many things. I've had so many opportunities to share my testimony mm-hmm. in the doctor's office. I don't even know how it got started, but I told, started telling this lady, and everybody's listening and asking questions. And, you know, and if, if I, as I get better, I'll, I'll be able to say, would you like to come? I'll, I'll pick you up for church, you know, or if you want to sit and talk, I'd be happy to talk with you about Jesus and about, about how he can guide you and protect you and, and carry you through and what a faithful God we have. And so that's my testimony. Mm. Jesus has always been my personal Lord and Savior, but now even I have, I'm even stronger in that faith and I'm ready to step out even more, not just stand out in front of the church and be the Walmart greeter, but to really <laughs> take people aside and talk with them about what Jesus can do in their life. And so I just wanted to share that with you. I get so excited. I see some of you leaning in, and I'm <laughs> leaning in towards you because um, it's just such a blessing. And I urge you, find a church. If, you, if this isn't the one for you, if you're online, find a church with a great pastor. I have. I, I love listening to Pastor Mike, and I feel he speaks to me. He prayed for me, called me. Um, find a growth group. I have a fabulous growth group. They love me. I love them. We care for each other. We, we study the, what we believe is the authoritative word of God, which is the Bible, and share about it. And uh, get involved in the church and find someone you can talk to. Um, that can, they may not know the answers, but they, they certainly won't, but they can guide you into helping to find them. So that's my testimony, and I thank you, Lord, um, for all that you continue to do for me, and I better stop. Hey, hey, hey. 
Cause you make all things work together for my good You make all things work together for my good You make all things work together for my good You stay the same There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rise, I don't have to be afraid. Because I know that you love me. 